All right, this week, our guest speaker is Dan McLaughlin. Dan serves at the New York Ministry Network as the Network Secretary Treasurer and is bringing word to us today out of Exodus 5 and 6. Come on, church, let's give a huge word of life welcome to Dan McLaughlin. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. It's always great to be here at uh, Word of Life and... uh, uh, we'll be, of course, uh, facilitating a vote later on in the service, and I'll be happy to be here for part of that as well. And uh, it's just wonderful to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Uh, how many of you have ever tried really hard to make something better, and instead you ended up just making it worse? You ever been there? <laughs> Where it seems like the harder you try, the worse it gets. Uh, this is very true of my golf swing. The harder I swing, the more it hooks to the right. <laughs> right? Um, I remember uh, a, a couple of um, years ago, I was renovating the kitchen in our house, and I was taking down the wallpaper from the 70s, and I was trying to smooth out the walls in the kitchen in our house, and I was trying to make make life better for our family, and so I'm, I'm sanding down these walls and trying to make it smooth, and I look up on the ceiling, and I see this one little brown stain on the ceiling, and I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, I wonder if I can paint over that, and I reach up, and I touch it, and my finger goes through the ceiling, and water starts pouring out, and it was not sink water. Two days later, my entire upstairs bathroom was gutted down to the the floor joists, and uh, as I had tried to make something better, I ended up making it a whole lot worse. Uh, But of course, these are just physical examples, right? What about in your relationships? Have you ever tried to repair a broken relationship? And, in, and with all of your efforts and all of your striving and all of your, your, your best work, you end up just making it worse and not better. What about in your professional life, in your career pursuits? Have you tried to advance your life and advance uh, your place and your status to get a promotion, to work harder, to, to become something greater, and instead all of your good efforts just come back as nothing and it gets worse, not better? What about in your own walk with God? Have you ever tried to live for God in a particular way? Have you tried to remove yourself from from negative behaviors and and harmful things and unhealthy parts of your life and, and give your life more fully to God? And yet it seems like the more you try to do what's right, the harder it becomes for you. It's moments like this in life where we are tempted to think, why why do I even try at all? Why try at all? All my efforts are just coming back, and and it's just it's I'm making things worse. Not better. In fact, I I believe this to be true. If there's one thing in life that's worse than pain, it's pain that feels meaningless. Are you with me? I believe as, as humans, we are very resilient creatures. It's, it's unbelievable to me when I, when I watch the lives of, of people in our world and around me and, and friendships that I have, the, the things that people are able to walk through and the things that people are able to overcome. But the one thing we have difficulty with as human beings is pain that's meaningless, pain that doesn't take us somewhere. And this, this is the type of moment we see here in Exodus 
chapter 5. Moses has a very significant encounter with God, a significant encounter with God that is, I think, very often overlooked in Scripture. And so we're going to read here in Exodus chapter 5. And just to give you some background here, this is uh, right after God has called Moses out of exile, where he's been the last 40 years, and he calls him to return to Egypt and demand freedom for the people of Israel who've been enslaved for 400 years. So let's, let's start reading here in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Is, that, is not that the voice of our culture today? It says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh says, says, I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And he goes on to say in verse 4, he says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. He said, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. And so this is what happens. Pharaoh's slave drivers go out and they begin to enforce this new rule upon the Israelite slaves, and they are forced to make bricks without straw. And Scripture tells us that uh, the people of Israel go out and they, they begin to scour the land for stubble, for whatever they can find, whatever they can grasp. They are grasping at straws to bring them back, to build these bricks, to make these bricks, and they do not fulfill the quota. And so the slave taskmasters beat them. And the overseers of the Israelites then come back to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, this is unfair. We can't do it. It's, it's too much work. This is too hard. It, this, is, this is not something that's doable. We're, we are working overtime and we still can't give you what you're asking for. And Pharaoh says, too bad. You shouldn't have sent Moses and Aaron to come ask for your freedom. So we pick up again here in verse 20. The leaders of the Israelites come to Moses and Aaron and they say to them, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and he said, why, Lord? Why have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that in moments where it seems like all of our best efforts fall short, these are the moments, God, that you desire to do the most in us. And these are the moments in our lives where, God, you begin to reveal yourself to us in a new way. And so, God, it's our prayer this morning that you would begin to give us a divine perspective 
in the moments of struggle in our lives so that we might see you clearly for who you are and allow you to do in us what only you can do. In Jesus' name. It's a really encouraging passage, huh? Aren't you glad I got invited today? This is awesome. Okay, we're going to get to some better stuff, but bear with me for a moment. Some context to this passage uh, this morning. Uh, it, it, in, at this particular moment in history, Moses, as a historical figure, is not the person that we, that we normally think of when we think of Moses. Moses, if you step back and look at his entire life, has a, has a pretty epic life and a pretty incredible resume. Uh, when we think of Moses, we think of the man who called down ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. We think of the man who, who led a nation of slaves to freedom and, and parted the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptian army was swallowed up and drowned behind him. We think of the man who, who struck a rock and water came out in the desert. We think of uh, the man who prayed and God sent uh, bread and meat down from heaven. We think of the man who walked up to the mountain of God, saw God face to face, received the Ten Commandments that were written by the finger of God and he brings them back to the people. Moses, as he's, as he's leading the people in the wilderness, there's a group of people who rebel against him. And, and the ground opens up and swallows them right in front of him. I think there's a lot of pastors who wish they had that kind of anointing in their life. I'm just kidding. That would never, you would never ask for that, Pastor Randy. I know, Pastor Tom. No. Moses is the one who holds up his arms all day and the, and the nation is victorious in battle. And Moses, in addition to being a great leader, mentors Joshua who becomes a leader who is even greater than him. That's hard to believe. How many of you know that Moses, in his entire time leading the nation of Israel, defeated two kings, which is pretty impressive. I don't know how many kings you've defeated, but Moses defeated two kings. Joshua defeated 31 kings. And Moses was his mentor. And and to top it all off, All of the years that Moses led the nation of Israel, they were led by a physical manifestation of the presence of God, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. An unbelievable life Moses led. But I want you to understand something. At this moment in the story of Moses, he has done nothing. He is none of that. This is what we know so far about Moses at this point in his life story. We know that Moses was a murderer. He was a fugitive from the law. He had killed an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite, and so he fled into the wilderness where he stayed for 40 years living as a shepherd. He apparently is afraid of speaking in public, does not want to get in front of a crowd. And at this point in his life, he is 80 years old. Many of us would say, you've missed your window, Moses. Your time has passed. And all he has to his name at this point in his life is that he's had an encounter with the living God who's called him out and given him a mission. How many of you know there are moments in our lives where we have no certainty other than the fact that we've had an encounter with God who's made himself real to us? And so Moses... 
against every good thought he has, decides to obey. And he goes and he, he is courageous and he works up the courage to stand in front of Pharaoh, a person who could easily have him killed, a person who knows his history and knows what he's done. And he stands in front of Pharaoh and he delivers the message that God tells him to deliver. He, he takes on this huge task in the name of God. And what happens? Things actually get worse, not better. First thing I'd like you to notice in this passage is that there are moments in life where it seems like the harder you work, the worse it gets. Have you been there? There are moments in life when we're, we're forced to make brick without straw. If we were to take the time to go around this room today, I'm sure each one of you could share a story or a moment or a season in your life where it felt like a bricks without straw season. I remember uh, my first year in ministry. I was 20 years old. Uh, I had been given the role of part-time youth pastor and uh, at a small church in, in Connecticut. And uh, uh, the youth group had 15 to 20 students. I was, I was entrusted with this group of students. And I thought to myself, here it is. This is it. This is my moment. We are going to change the world. God, this is where the revolution starts, right here. And in three short months, I successfully led that youth ministry from 15 to 20 students down to five. <laughs> I, remember, uh, I remember showing up for a youth group one night. Uh, my wife, who we were dating at the time, was, was helping me with that, but she wasn't there that night, and only three students showed up. Three students showed up, and they taught us in Bible school. They said, listen, whether you preach in front of 2,000 people or you preach in front of two, you preach like this. You preach the same. Amen. So I said, all right, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and I got on the piano, and I led worship for them very badly. And then I got up, and I preached my sermon to those three students, and one of them stood up in the middle and walked out and never came back. And I finished my sermon to those two students. And I got in the car and drove home. And I said, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is this why you called me? That's what Moses said. Is this why you called me? Is this, is this why you sent me? All of my effort, which is for you, God, by the way, is not making things better. It's just making things worse. And of course, at that point in my life, I still thought <laughs> that somehow by me giving my life to God in ministry, that I was somehow doing God a favor. That's a whole other sermon. I won't go there today. But. but the truth is, is if immediate success were the result of short-term obedience, we'd all be successful. But it doesn't work that way, does it? So often we give God our very best effort. We give him the best that we have. We give him all that we have. And the results that come back to us are far less than what we hope for. Moses was hoping for freedom from slavery. And instead he got a worse version of slavery than he started with. He may have been hoping for some validation and some respect from the people of Israel who, who didn't really uh, trust him or, or believe that he was sent from God to lead them. But instead he got mistrust and contempt. He got bricks without straw. 
Work is difficult. But nothing's more difficult than work that feels meaningless. Pain is difficult. But nothing is more difficult than pain that feels meaningless. And most of us can bear the struggle if we feel like it's going somewhere. But if it doesn't, that's when we start to question everything. And that's what bricks without straw seasons are, when our struggle and our effort actually brings us less and not more. Friends, we've been through a difficult year, haven't we? Been through a difficult year, haven't we? And life has never been easy or simple, but last year took things to a whole new level, didn't it? Feels like the world just got a whole lot more complicated. Financial challenges have always been challenging, but this past year they've been more challenging, haven't they? Schooling your kids has always been challenging, but this last year has gotten more challenging. Some of you have had to start homeschooling for the first time, and you know what the McLaughlins live through all the time. God bless you. Parenting your kids has always been a challenge, but this last year it's been more challenging than ever. If you, have, if you are serving an elderly loved one in your life, it's been more challenging than ever. If, you, if you've been grieving the loss of a loved one in your life, it's been more challenging than ever. Living out your faith in a post-Christian culture has always been difficult. And friends, it's getting harder, and it's going to get harder still. Moving forward as a church has always been difficult and challenging. And in this season, it's been harder than ever. In a short period of time, it feels like all the rules of our world have changed. But you see, what God has called his church to and what God has called his people to do has not changed. And the rules of engagement with our culture have changed, but, but what God has called the church to has not changed. And yet still, it can feel like there are moments where we're still giving God our best and it comes back as less, not more. We see this in the story of Moses. But what I'd like you to notice here, the second thing I'd like you to notice in this story is this, is that God's ultimate goal in these moments is less about what we achieve and more about who we become. I think you'd agree with me that God's goal for the nation of Israel was more than just setting them free from slavery. It was about a complete transformation of their identity. See, the the nation of Israel had lived as a nation of slaves for over 400 years. And shifting uh, the slave mentality away from the nation of Israel involved way more than simply changing their legal status. You see this over and over again throughout the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Time after time, the nation of Israel doubts the leadership of God, even though he leads them with a pillar of fire uh, by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They doubt the protection of God, even though he parts the Red Sea on their behalf and drowns the Egyptian army behind them. They doubt the provision of God, even though he sends them water from a rock in the desert and bread and meat fall from heaven every day. They doubt the promises of God, even though he brings them up to the edge of the promised land and shows them what he's going to give them. You see, God God didn't just want to get his people out of slavery. He wanted to get slavery out of his people. And so what about Moses himself? Well, for Moses, 
God makes it abundantly clear from the beginning. He says, Moses, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you accomplish, whatever it is that you do in my name, it is not going to be because of your own wisdom, because of your own strength, because of your own great ability, but it's going to be because of my power working through you. And we know that Moses learns this lesson from Scripture because Numbers 12.3 tells us this about Moses. It says that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. It's quite a compliment, isn't it? But also incredible because this statement's written after Moses has done so much of his ministry. You see, the success of Moses did not elevate his view of himself. Instead, it brought him a greater level of humility and dependency. And I believe it started in this bricks without straw moment in Moses' life. God's ultimate goal in bricks without straw moments is less about what we achieve and more about who we are and who we are becoming. Let me say that again. God is more concerned with who we are and who we are becoming than what we achieve or what we accomplish. And so, in whatever season you're attempting to live out your faith, uh, in whatever way you're attempting to live out your faith in this season of your life, whether you are uh, trying to show the love of Christ to your coworkers, whether you're trying to raise your children to know and love God, whether you're trying to, to live free from sin and addiction whether you're trying to invest in a godly or healthy marriage, whether you're trying to love and serve within your church, however it is you're attempting to live for God in this season of your life, understand that God's aim is less about what you accomplish and more about who you are and who you are becoming. What we do for God, successful or unsuccessful, does not define our value or our worth or our identity. Rather, our identity is formed in moments where all of our best efforts fall short and God begins to show us who we really are and who He really is. God is more concerned with who we are and who we are becoming than what we accomplish. And this is what Bricks Without Straw moments are all about. It's it's moments like these where God slows down our lives to a grinding halt and says, stop. Stop. Stop paying attention to what's going on around you. Stop striving and trying to make something happen and pay attention to what I'm doing in you. The final thought I have for you this morning is this. That who we become depends entirely on paying attention to who God reveals himself to be in the process. Who we become depends entirely on paying attention to who God reveals himself to be in the process. Listen to what God responds to Moses. Remember at the end of chapter 5, Moses says, God, is this why you sent me? Is this why you sent me? It hasn't gotten better. It's only gotten worse. This is God's response to Moses. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. 
But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I find this passage really interesting. First of all, because God starts off with just saying, hey, Moses, slow down. I've got this. We're going to win in the end. It's okay. But then he says this. He says, listen, Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or as the El Shaddai, as the all-sufficient one, as God the most powerful one. This is how the past generations knew me. He says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. But they did not know me as the Lord. They did not know me as Jehovah, as the great I am, as the self-existent one, as the eternal, the immutable, the unchangeable one. There's a commentator who writes about this. He says, God in this moment would now be known by his name Jehovah. That is, a God performing what he, what he has promised and so inspiring confidence in his promises. A God perfecting what he had begun and finishing his own work. What's he saying here? God is saying, listen, generations past knew me this way, but you, you're going to know me in a whole new way. You're going to know me in a whole new way. And if they'd paid attention, which many of them did not, they would have seen God in a whole new way. They would have seen God their protector. They would have seen God their defender. They would have seen God their deliverer. God their provider. God their righteous judge. God their redeemer. God their guide. God their sustainer. God their promise keeper. They would have seen God in a whole new way. Listen, God is not saying somehow that, that, that his nature has changed or somehow that he is a different God than he was before. That's not what he's saying. God is always the same, and yet there is a reality of him that can only be revealed to us in the moment, actively in history as we put our faith in him in real time. And what he's saying to Moses is, listen, the stories of the past are true, but get ready for something new. Get ready for something new. Amen. Because of this, I need, I need to slow you down to a halt so that you can realize that every, every victory that comes in the future will not be because of your great strength, your wisdom, your own effort, but because instead of my great power working through you. Like many of you who are here today, I, I'm grateful for what God has done in the past. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what God has done in the lives of my parents. They're the reason I have a faith today. I'm grateful for what God has done in the history of our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, and God's work in the church throughout the world. I'm grateful for what God has done all throughout history. But hear me when I tell you this that I, I do not want to just know the God of my parents. I, I do not just want to know the God of Billy Graham and Charles Finney and George Whitfield and Martin Luther, great preachers and great leaders. I don't just want to know the God of William Seymour who led the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. 
I don't, I don't just want to know the God of Paul and of Peter and the apostles. I don't, I don't just want to know the God of Abraham and Moses and David and Esther and the prophets. I want to know the God of Dan McLaughlin. Right here. Today, God, I want to know God in the here and now, in this moment, in this time in history, for such a time as this. God says to Moses, he says, they knew me in the past one way, but now in this moment, in your bricks without straw moment, in the moment where everything you do, every effort you make, instead of it making it better, it just makes it worse. In this moment, I'm going to make myself real to you and show you who I am. You're going to see me in a whole new way. And it won't be history anymore. It won't be secondhand stories anymore. It will be for today. It will be for you in this moment. This is where God says, I'm going to make myself known to you in a way you've never seen me before. God is more concerned with who we are and who we are becoming than what we accomplish. And who we become depends entirely on paying attention to who God is revealing himself to be. And so I'd ask you this morning, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to who God is revealing himself to be in your bricks without straw moments? Are you surrendering your life to the one who made it? even when you don't understand what he's doing with it. I love what the Puritan preacher, John Flavel writes, he says this. He says, it is fit that he that made us should dispose of us as he pleases. He may do what seemeth him good without our consent. God doesn't need my permission to do what he wants to do with my life. And then he says this, it is not our work to rule the world, but to submit to him who does. It's not our work to rule the world, but to submit to him who does. So are you surrendering today? I said in the beginning that as humans, we are very resilient creatures and we can deal with the struggle and we can deal with the pain as long as there's meaning behind it. But meaningless pain, that's what's crippling to us. But here's the good news. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, no pain is meaningless. In Christ, no season, no matter how difficult, is wasted. Because of Christ, God takes these moments to form us into the image of his son. And listen. The voice of Pharaoh, which is the voice of our culture, says, work harder, work harder, work harder. But the voice of God says, look to my son and trust better. Look to my son and trust better. Would you pray with me today? And as we do, maybe you're here today and you would say, Dan, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been trying to fight this fight on my own. I've been 
putting my trust in my own good efforts and my own ability and I keep falling short. I've never put my trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. I want you to know today that you can make that decision by simply praying in the quietness of your own heart. Simply say, Father, I acknowledge that I'm sinful and lost without you. That in all of my best efforts to live right and to put myself together, I keep falling apart. Father, today I receive the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on my behalf through faith. And Lord, today I commit from this day forward to following after you with all of my heart and all of my life. The scriptures say that when we do that, God receives us into his family, into his kingdom. He calls us sons and daughters of God, and all of heaven rejoices over you. If you've never made that decision today, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, maybe you're here today and you're walking through a difficult season in your life. Maybe you're struggling to find meaning in your pain and purpose in your fight, and you feel like you're losing ground. I want you to know today that God loves you. God loves you. He's not abandoned you, He's not forsaken you. It may just be that in this moment, he wants to reveal himself to you in a way that he never has done before. And so would you surrender your life to his work inside of you today? Heavenly Father, today, we thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, no season is wasted. We thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, no pain is meaningless. We thank you, God, that in the moments where our lives come to a grinding halt and we cannot make a way ahead, these are the moments where, God, you reveal yourself to us in a way that you had never done before. God, it's our prayer today that you would open up our eyes to see you for who you are and what it is that you want to do in us and who and how you want to reveal yourself to us. God, today we choose to surrender our lives to you, to give you our very selves, and say, God, show us. Show us who you are. And as you show us who you are, God, we ask that you'd show us who we are as well. God, we surrender to you today. We give our lives to you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ today, I just encourage you to follow up. Uh, our hosts are going to give you some more information about that in a moment. If you're watching online, you can click the raise hand button to let us know that you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to turn it over to the hosts now, and they're going to give you some next steps. God bless you. Thanks for allowing me to be here today.